Welcome to Free Christian Church of God's Audio Outreach Ministries. For more information regarding the Audio Outreach Ministries or to order past messages, please contact the church office at area code 419-596-3103 or visit our website at www.freecog.org. And now, here's Reverend James Fry with today's message. Take out your Bible this morning, turn to John chapter 9, the Gospel of John, if you would. God is good, isn't he? Well, Paul, I'd love to see how all of this goes together, the music and the words and the, that last song. I have yet to sing all the way through it. I've yet to sing. Uh, we were down at the National Quartet Convention, Lisa and I, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, that song was written by the Isaacs, I believe. And uh, they sang that song down there, and I can't get through it. I don't know why. Can't get through it. Sometimes we feel like God isn't listening. We feel like he's far away. Uh, we pray and we feel like we're on our own. We're not making any progress. Nothing good is happening. And uh, we feel like God is asleep but he hears our cries. When Jesus stepped out of the boat in Gadara, he heard the cries of a lonely man in the graveyard who felt like his life was over, and Jesus came to him. I want you to know this morning your cries have woken the Master, and he knows where you are. Take your Bible, John chapter 9, lift it in the air. Try to outdo the youth this morning, will you? This is my Bible. It's God's infallible word. I am who it says I am. I have what it says I have, and I can do what it says I can do. Today I'll be taught the word of God. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the word of God. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive, and I will never be the same in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 9, just the first three verses. As he went along talking about Jesus here. He saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. God, I thank you for your word. It never runs out and it never grows old. God, it is practical as every new day, and it is as deep and as, as, as life-giving as you yourself. Father, I thank you today for what it's going to speak to this church. God, the people that hear need to hear what your word says today. And God, we might all hear something different, but God, I pray that we'll all hear from you. And God, that we will react to the word that we hear, that we won't just be hearers only, but God, we'll be doers of the word as you've given it to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. We just sang the words a little bit ago. If you believe it, if you receive it, if you can feel it, somebody testify. Somebody testify. When I was in college way back when, <laughs> I told Lisa the other day, I said, I have been out of college. I graduated 42 years ago from college. 42 years. That would put me, what, 100, you know? 42 years ago from college, but back when I was in college, once a week we would have what we called dorm devotions. And one of the guys in our dorm would lead the devotional. So there was this little nerdy guy in our dorm, and nobody knew him very well. We was just a little skinny, blonde-haired kid. 
He was all very quiet. He didn't socialize much. Honestly, I don't think I'd ever heard him speak out loud, but it was his turn to do the devotions. So we all sat down in the lounge. There were about 30 guys, and he opened up his Bible. He said, you guys don't know much about me, so I guess I'll give you my testimony. He said, my parents split up when I was just three years old. My dad was horribly abusive. My mom was an alcoholic. And after years of that abuse, I was removed from our home and I was in and out of foster care. At age 13, I ran away. I got out onto the street. I lived on my own and I got on into drugs. He said, I did over 100 pills every day. But then one night, laying alone on a cold sidewalk in the darkness, I looked up to heaven and I asked God to save me. And he did. And now I'm here in Bible college. Wow. Our jaws dropped to the floor. We, who would have believed that what a testimony this guy had? But then he smiled and he said, I just made all that up. I've had a good mom and dad. I was raised in church, got saved when I was 10 years old and served God ever since. But I figured you guys would think that was boring. How many of you think you have a boring testimony? How many think you have a boring testimony? I always thought I did. I always thought I did. I was born and raised church, had a great mom and dad, was raised right, God was real in our home, and I got saved when I was very young, and I thought, man, I just have a boring testimony. God saved me before I ever had a chance to get into trouble. He saved me before I ever got into sin. And I thought I didn't have a story to tell about all of the trouble I was in, all the bad things I've done. So I thought I didn't have anything to testify about. When some people stand to testify, they bring up all of the things they've ever done. Just one person will say, well, I was abusive and I was an alcoholic and I was just a mean man. And then another one will say, well, yeah, well, I was a drug addict and a thief and I spent months of my life in jail. And then somebody else will stand up and they'll say, well, that's nothing. I tried to murder a man and burn down his house. Sometimes it's hard to tell if they're testifying or just bragging. I used to do this. Yeah, but I used to do this. You're thinking that maybe you ought to go out and do some bad things just so you have something to testify about. But I want you to know this morning that your testimony isn't the list of bad things that you've done. But it's the story of how Jesus saved you. Your testimony isn't about your sin, it's about your Savior. Your testimony is the story of how Jesus brought you from death to life, from darkness into the light, and from blindness into vision. Every person who has been saved by the grace of God has a story to tell. You were stuck in sin, you were under a curse and destined for hell, but Jesus gave his life to set you free, and the blood covered it all. It's not a story about your sin, but it's a story about your Savior. It's not a review of your checkered past, it's not about where you've been and what you've done, but it's about where you're going and what you're about to do. I guess what I'm saying to you today is stop talking about your past. Stop digging up old bones out of the old graveyard. Stop telling your old story and stop dredging up what the blood has covered and just start talking about Jesus. Somebody testify. Somebody testify. No two of us are alike. Praise the Lord. No two of us are alike. Each and every one of us here today have been fearfully and wonderfully made because the Bible says so. But we've all been made differently. God didn't have a cookie cutter mold where he stamped us out, but he made us as an individual creation, and then he broke the mold. Now, I know some of you look like he broke the mold first, and then he made you, but he didn't. 
Take a good look at the person sitting next to you. Don't they look like they've been fearfully and wonderfully made? Go ahead, try to do it without smiling. If you look around the sanctuary, you're going to see people who look differently and speak differently than you do. You'll see people who have a different uh, thoughts and different ideas and different goals for their life. Because no two of us are the same. And it's because we're an individual, autonomous creation of God who made each one of us unique and a, with a one-of-a-kind, custom-fitted plan for our life. You don't have to be like somebody else. You don't have to be like me, and thank God I don't have to be like you. You might be tall and thin, or maybe you're just short and round. Maybe you like wearing a three-piece suit, or maybe you're more comfortable in jeans and a flannel shirt. But I want you to know that God does not make mistakes. And God made you. One thing that we teach our kids at Bible school, and I, I, I've always tried to drive it across to our teachers, is you let these kids know when they come here, God made them and they are special. They might be a nobody at school. They might be the, the slow kid. They might be the dirty kid. They might be the poor kid. But when they step inside of this church, I want you to know that they are somebody because God made them and God does not make mistakes. God created you to be you and he did it on purpose. He did it on purpose. You're not to be a knockoff or a cheap copy of somebody else. God made you the way he made you because he created you with a plan for your life that is suited for who you are, for where you have been and where you are going. God has built you to succeed. Some have been created by God to be factory workers. Some have been created to work in an office. Some are mechanics. Some are experts with computers, and some have been created to be stay-at-home moms because God knows that as the family goes, so goes everything else. Some here today have been created to be artists or to be musicians. They've been given a gift that other people don't have. But the bottom line is that each of us have been fearfully and wonderfully made by our Creator God. But what, what makes this even more exciting is that God, who sees all and knows all and has a plan for us all, has taken all of us different people and like a great jigsaw puzzle, he has fitted us together to form the perfect body of Christ so we can build his kingdom and bring him honor. I'm so glad I'm part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain and cleansed by his blood. We are joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this side because I'm part of the family, the family of God. God has given us gifts and abilities. You can do some things that I can't do. I can do some things that you can't do. There are a couple of people here who can do things that none of the rest of us can do. And I know there are some of you out there that can no longer do the things that you used to do. <laughs> but the Bible is very clear that there's one thing that we can all do and one thing that we must all do, and that is be a witness of the saving and redeeming gospel of Jesus Christ. Somebody testify. Romans chapter 10 asks, how shall they hear without a preacher? There are two Greek words in the Bible for preacher. One word means to herald the gospel, and that's what I do. That's what I do on Sunday morning when I deliver the message. But the other word means to gossip the gospel. And that's what God has called you to do. God has commissioned you to testify. He's commissioned you to tell other people of his amazing grace that is greater than their sin. He's commanded you then to go out into the highways and into the hedges, into the places, remote places where nobody goes and, and persuade those who would believe. You might not be a Bible expert. You might not know the word of God chapter and verse. Maybe you're still a rookie in the faith. 
Maybe you're still a baby in the kingdom. Maybe you've only been saved for a short time and there's a whole lot of things that you still don't know. I mean, if ignorance is bliss, you're probably ecstatic. You might be still, in, still calling Psalms, Palms, and Job, Job, and when the preacher says to turn to Hebrews, you turn around and start looking for Jews in the sanctuary. You might not know how to talk to people about Jesus, and you might be intimidated by the prospect of witnessing the gospel because you have convinced yourself that you don't have what it takes to lead somebody to Jesus. But I want you to know this morning that you don't have to be a pastor and you don't have to be a theologian to witness for Jesus Christ. All you need is your testimony. Somebody testify. Somebody testify. All you need is your testimony. But it has to be your testimony. You can't tell people how great it was when you lifted your hands toward heaven and God parted the Red Sea because that was Moses and it wasn't you. You can't tell them how God shut up the mouths of the lions and he spared your life in the den because that was Daniel and that wasn't you. You can't tell them how Jesus called you to leave your fishing business and follow him because that was Peter, James, and John. And it, it's not about what God did for your grandma and grandpa. It's not about what happened to your mom and dad, but your testimony has to be your testimony, your story of how you met Jesus and what Jesus has done for you. It's not about explaining theology. It's not about quoting Bible verses or using a clever sales pitch. It's, it's not about tricking somebody or trying to outsmart somebody. If you're going to be a real witness for Christ, all you need is your very own testimony. Tell somebody what Jesus has done for you. Tell them where he found you and tell them where he has brought you to. Tell them how he set you free from your past and free from your bad habits. Tell them how he healed your marriage and how he put your family back together. All you need is your own testimony. Somebody testify. Our text today is the story of Jesus healing a man who had been born blind. Now you have to understand how important and how unique this story is. Up until this time, throughout 4,000 years of recorded history, no one had ever been healed of blindness. Of all of the great miracles of the Old Testament, the parting of the Red Sea and the defeat of great and powerful armies, of manna falling from heaven and the sun standing still in the sky, of all of the healings of sickness and maladies by the hand of God, no one, absolutely no one, who was born blind had ever been made able to see. John chapter 9, verse 32 says, Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. In its original language, this text reads, From eternity. No one has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. From eternity, from the beginning of creation and beyond, no one who has born, been born blind had been made able to see. But hundreds of years before Jesus came to this earth, Isaiah prophesied about the coming of the Messiah. And he informed the people how they would be able to identify him. Listen to this. Isaiah said, then the eyes of the blind will be opened. Those are shouting words there, church, if you didn't catch it. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue shall shout for joy. You see, Jesus left no doubt as to who he was. The healing of this blind man was irrefutable evidence that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. Now let me put this story together for you. 
as Jesus and his disciples were leaving the temple and they were passing through Jerusalem, they passed by this blind man. He was sitting there along with several other people who were blind, deaf, or crippled. But this passage doesn't tell us that Jesus healed everybody. Pay attention here because I want you to learn something today. There were many who were blind, deaf, or crippled there. But Jesus chose this man. I don't fully understand why, and, and I, I won't pretend that I do. Why didn't Jesus do a mass healing? Why didn't he just wave his hand over the crowd so that all of those who were sick and suffering would be healed? Why did Jesus leave the others still sick and still suffering and only heal this one man? You need to get this. People ask this question today, why doesn't God heal everybody? We pray and why isn't God healing? We're asking God, why isn't he supplying? Why doesn't God feed all of the hungry? Why doesn't he stop all of the wars? Why doesn't he set all of the prisoners free? We have an oversimplified idea of healing. We think that if we're sick, we just have to ask God to heal us. And because God loves us, he is obligated to heal us. We throw in, in Jesus' name, because we know God can't resist that. We see healing as proof of our faith and proof of God's love, but that's not what the scripture teaches. Every good mother knows that she doesn't give her child everything that he asks for, no matter how much she loves him. Because she knows something that that child doesn't know. She knows that what he wants isn't what he really needs. She knows that there's something better than what her child is asking for. In Luke chapter 4, as Jesus was leaving the people of Capernaum, he told those who were standing there that he came to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus was telling them that even though healing of sickness is a good thing and a desirable thing, giving people the short-term fix of healing isn't the point of his mission. Now I want you to think about this. Everyone that Jesus healed got sick again. Even those that Jesus raised from the dead, like Lazarus, eventually died. As great as those miracles are, and as exciting as they are to talk about, they were only temporary, and they were fundamentally unimportant in the greater scheme of things for this one reason. This earth is not our ultimate home. We've been called to a greater place and a greater mission. That's why Jesus didn't spend all of his time healing people because he had to move on to preach the eternal good news of the kingdom of God. This blind man would be, have been sitting just outside of the temple. And he was begging those who had went in and out of the temple for money so he could survive one more day. He was just outside of the church. He wasn't outside of the health club. He wasn't outside of the local bar. He wasn't outside of the sports arena or the concert hall, but he was sitting just outside of the church. There are many people today who are surviving just outside of the church. Nobody else has been able to help them. They've tried every other avenue. They've been to every agency, and they've gone through every program. They have had some temporary relief, but their problem still exists. We live in a world uh, of, of temporary fixes welfare programs that sustain people in their situation 
but do nothing to fix their problem. Society has given up on them. They, uh, the community has written them off as a lost cause. They've been labeled as unproductive and unnecessary. They are considered to be non-essential people. So now they're in a survival mode, making it from one day to the next, and they sit just outside of the church, hoping that somebody who is coming in or going out will be compassionate enough to help them. They will ask us for money so they can be sustained for one more day. But you see, I've learned in 40 years of ministry that money is not their problem. Money is not their problem. Giving somebody $100 to pay their electric bill is just a temporary fix because next month they're going to need it again. But it won't fix their problem. It'll only sustain them where they are. So we don't give them money. If you're looking, if you're going to come ask, we don't give you money. But we offer them something better. We offer them something that will change their life, that will change their circumstances, that will change their perspective. We offer them Jesus. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I'm giving unto you. When the disciples saw this blind man, the very first question that they asked was, who sinned? Who sinned that this man was born blind? Whose fault is it? Who's to blame for this man's condition? You see, people back then commonly assumed that disease and disorders, both personal and on the national level, were due to sin. In Israel's past, every problem that they had faced as a nation was because there was sin in the camp. Every time Israel was defeated by an enemy or taken captive as slaves, it was because of their sin. But here the disciples were being more poignant. They wanted to know if this man's blindness was his fault or his parents' fault. The idea that the parents' sins can affect their children is supported in Old Testament scriptures. Exodus 20, verse 5, God said, I will visit the iniquities of the father unto the third and fourth generation. Dad, that means you need to fix your problems so you don't pass it on to your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids. But the Old Testament law also speaks of the antithesis. In Ezekiel 18.20, it reads, The soul who sins is the one who will die. The son shall not share the guilt of the father, and the father will not share the guilt of his son. So in their limited understanding, the disciples wanted to know whose fault is it that this man was born blind. Our fallen nature wants to place blame. We want to know who is responsible. Something's gone wrong. Somebody's fallen off the deep end and their life is a shambles. And we want to know whose fault it is. Because we want to place blame. We'll say, well, you know, his parents must have done a lousy job raising him. Or his parents never disciplined her enough when she was growing up. We'll say, well, maybe their home life wasn't as good as they tried to make people believe. Or maybe their Christianity wasn't so real. When we see someone whose life is in disarray, it seems that the very first thing that we want to do is to place blame. But I, want, I love Jesus' answer. Please listen to this. Listen closely to Jesus' answer. Before you go off judging people and blaming people and condemning people, listen to what Jesus said. They said, whose fault is it that he is born blind? And Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents have sinned. Are you caught up yet? Neither this man or his parents have sinned, but this happened so the work of God might be displayed in his life. God was just working on his testimony. We want to blame somebody. But we know that sometimes what we know 
doesn't add up? I mean, we know moms and dads who've done a lousy job, but their child still turns out good. And we know moms and dads who've done everything right and still their child is imperfect and rebellious and full of sin. Adam and Eve had a perfect father. And they lived in a perfect environment, and yet they still chose sin over righteousness because God gave every one of us a free will. He gave us the freedom to choose sin or the freedom to choose righteousness. But what I'm telling you here is you don't have a valid excuse. Maybe you've had a terrible mom and you've had a horrible dad and you were brought up in a dysfunctional home, but your sin is not your excuse. It is your choice. You cannot blame mommy and daddy. So the disciples asked, who sinned? And Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents have sinned. Jesus was telling them that this man was born blind so that he would have the opportunity to show the world who he is. You see, it wasn't really about the blind man. It wasn't really about the disciples. It wasn't about his parents. It was about Jesus. In our minds, suffering seems to always be connected to sin in some way. But this passage develops the connection even further by letting us know that God has designed our suffering and he has designed our struggles. He has fitted it in to this program. He's fitted it into this plan for our life as a prime opportunity for his grace to be displayed in us. Jimmy said a couple of Sundays ago, God will not waste your pain. God doesn't allow anything to enter your life that isn't able to glorify him. Your life might be out of control today, but God is still in control. He's always been. Maybe God has allowed your suffering for these last many months or these last many years so he can reveal who he is through you. He's just working on your testimony. Now, the Bible says that Jesus spat on the ground and he made mud and put on the man's eyes. That's a lot of spit. I hate seeing spit. You hate seeing spit? It just grosses me out. If you have to spit, get a handkerchief or get a Kleenex or something or just go and swallow. Sorry about losing your lunch, but, you know, don't spit it on the ground. When I go up to get my mail every morning uh, and, and I open my car door, there's always like five or six globs of, of mucus on the pavement next to my car. Uh, geez, <laughs> it's like walking through a minefield to get my mail, you know. Well, Jesus spat on the ground and he made a mud pie. If you're going to make wet, wet clay out of parched dirt in a Middle Eastern climate, it's not going to be a little spit that makes it happen. Seriously, I, I find this story really gross, don't you? But why did Jesus do that? Now, this is how my mind works. I have to make sense of everything that I read in the Bible. I'm the guy that will stop in the middle of the story and ask a question. I know what Jesus did, and I, but I want to know why Jesus did it. But even more puzzling, when I'm studying this, I found out this wasn't the only time he did it. In Mark chapter 7, it says that some people brought Jesus a deaf man who could hardly speak. And in verse 33, it says Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears, and then he spit and touched the man's tongue. Later in Mark 8, 23, it says that he spit on a man's eyes, and he put his hands on him. Now, I know that Jesus didn't need physical props to make his miracles work. He didn't even need to speak a word. All he had to do was think the thought and people would have been healed. But in three cases, Jesus used spit in the process of healing. 
One reason has to do with what the beliefs of this contemporary culture of those days. Roman writers and Jewish rabbis considered saliva to be a valid treatment for blindness. Needless to say, you didn't go to the eye doctor back then very often. Since the people of that day had a high view of saliva's healing properties, they think that Jesus used spit to communicate his intent to heal. Those being healed would have naturally interpreted Jesus spitting as a sign that they would soon be healed. Now, I'm envisioning this. I'm envisioning this. Jesus was there, and he was spitting on the ground, spitting and spitting and spitting on the ground, and he was stirring it around and making a mud pie to put on this man's face. Everybody watching could see what was going on, except the blind man, who was about to get hit in the face with a spit pie. Aren't you glad we don't do this today? Aren't you glad the epistle James doesn't say any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and they can lay hands on him and spit on him and God will raise him up. You walk out of church, people say, what in the wild world does sports happen to you? And you say, well, the elders prayed for my healing and then 15 or 20 more caring people came down to the altar and they spit on me too. But pay attention here. This man's healing wasn't effective. It wasn't complete until he obeyed Jesus' command. Jesus said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Why didn't Jesus just heal him on the spot? Why did he send this poor blind man on a journey? Our faith in God is made complete in our obedience. If you don't get anything else today, get that. Our faith in God is made complete in our obedience. It was about a thousand yards from the temple area to the pool of Siloam. That's a long way to walk when you can't see. But this blind man was willing to go. He had been blind his entire life without the hope of ever seeing, but here was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for something that he never thought could happen. Wouldn't you take the chance? Wouldn't you take the chance? I know you would. You're still doing Publishers Clearinghouse. God might not be commanding you to travel blindly for a thousand yards through a crowded street. But maybe he's telling you this morning, just walk about 30 feet down to an old-fashioned altar where in your obedience he will save you and he'll give you sight. The blind man made his way down the street and through the crowd. And he arrived at the pool, and it was at the pool where he immediately received his sight. How do you think he reacted when he was instantly able to see? You suppose that he thought, well, you know, I'm not going to tell anybody yet. I'm still going to act like I'm blind for a while until I see how my friends are going to react. I'm going to pretend to have a little bit of sight maybe to, to see if this seeing thing works out the way I want it to or not. No, he could see. This was an amazing miracle. This was a life-shattering experience, and he had to tell somebody about it. He had to, a testimony, and he was about to explode with the excitement. He couldn't keep it inside because with the heart the man believes unto righteousness, but it's with the mouth the confession is made unto salvation. Somebody testify. For the very first time in his life he could see clearly, and he didn't even make it out of the pool before God gave him the opportunity to testify. How many of you here today know how this man felt? You know how he felt. You, you've lived your life in blindness. You stumbled through life, and you tripped over everything in front of you. Nothing ever worked out for you. You failed in relationships. You failed at jobs. You, you've been addicted to every vice that's come down the pike. 
You've been hooked on drugs and addicted to alcohol and stuck on porn. You've been in fights and you've been in and out of jail and all you know is darkness. You've heard other people talk about how wonderful their life is and you hear them brag about their job and they brag about their home and their family and all of the things they own, but you have been handicapped by a lifetime of blindness until you met Jesus. Jesus touched this man's eyes and instantly he became a new man. For the very first time in his life, he could see, and he could see clearly. I think those are important words. He could see clearly. He could see the brightness of the sun. He could see the faces of the people around him, but he could also see something else. Jesus had opened his eyes, and now he had a perspective on life that he had never had before. How many of you here today know what I'm talking about? You lived a life of blindness and you suffered every tragedy that life could inflict on you, but then you met Jesus and your perspective on life drastically changed. You see things now that you can never see before. You see clearly, you see clearly what sin was doing to your life. You see clearly what the devil was doing to your marriage and what he was doing to your children. Your perspective on life has drastically changed because God has given you sight. Some of you here today need to start seeing. You need to start seeing clearly what your actions are doing to your marriage and what your actions are doing to your children. You need this new perspective on life. You need to seek healing for your sight. He could see. And this part didn't make a lot of sense. But now the people around him didn't recognize him. He could see, but now they didn't recognize it. Somebody asked, is, it, is that the guy that was the blind beggar? And somebody would say, well, it looks like him. And then somebody else said, well, no, it's not him. It, it just looks like him. Finally, hearing all this, he shouted, this is me. This is me. I went to a college reunion a few years ago, and I ran into one of my old college buddies. The very first thing he said to me was, man, I didn't recognize you. You got fat. I said, yeah, and you married an ugly woman, and I can lose weight. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. <laughs> the thought was in my mind. It just didn't make it to my mouth. But maybe you were once blind, but Jesus has touched you, and he's changed you, and now your old friends don't recognize who you are. Anybody got that problem? Your old friends don't recognize who you are? I know that looks like Robin, but he's not out partying and acting like a fool. I, I know that looks like Jeremy, but he's not staggering around with a bottle in his hand. They didn't recognize him because he was no longer acting like a blind man. Finally, somebody got up the nerve to ask him, how is it that you can now see? When you get saved, really saved, you're going to scare some people. They're going to wonder what in the world has happened to you. And you will terrify them. They'll, they'll stop calling you. They'll stop texting you. They'll stop inviting you to their parties. They'll run and hide when they see you walking by. They'll say, yonder he comes, and they'll go duck behind a bush somewhere. But God is going to give you an opportunity to testify. Because God is going to give one of your old friends enough courage to come up to you and ask you, what has happened to you? Somebody finally asked, how is it you can see? And this man who had been born blind and who could now see began to testify. Do you see how this works? Do you see how the gospel works? Do you see how it spreads? 
They questioned him, and God gave him the opportunity to testify. He said, the man that they called Jesus made mud, and he put it on my eyes, and then he told me to go wash it off in the pool of Siloam. So I went and did what he told me to do, and now I can see. It wasn't eloquent. It wasn't rehearsed. The grammar might not have been proper, and it wasn't deep theology, but it was his testimony of what Jesus did for him. You don't have to quote Scripture. You don't have to sing a song or tell people what the angels in heaven were doing on the day you got saved. All you have to do is tell them what Jesus has done for you. What Jesus did for this man here in the Gospel of John was big news because it was the unmistakable evidence that Jesus was the Messiah and that he had the power to do what no one else could do. The healing of this blind man defied logic. It defied explanation. There was no way around it and no other way to explain it other than Jesus did it. I want you to know today, if Jesus has saved you and changed your life, you defy explanation. There's no way to describe what has happened to you other than Jesus did it. Jesus did it. Your family and your old friends are looking at you right now and they're thinking, that had to be God. I knew them before. I know how they live. I know the things that they've done. And I see them now and that had to be God. Still not satisfied, they took him to the Pharisees. And there God gave him another opportunity to testify. Don't get upset when people question what God has done in your life and then drag you off in front of somebody else and question you again. God just giving you another opportunity to testify. The evidence was clear and it was standing right in front of them, but the, the Pharisees refused to believe. They knew who Jesus was. They didn't want to admit it. They asked him how he received the sight. And four times in the story, he's asked the same question. And four times he gives them the same answer. His story never changed. He said, this man they called Jesus made mud and put it on my eyes and told me to go wash in the pool of Siloam. So I went and I washed and now I can see. But the Pharisees refused to believe him. They refused to give Jesus the glory for what he had done. Now you need to understand something here. There are those who will never give God the glory for what has happened to you. They'll gladly give credit to a counselor. Oh, he went to those sessions and boy, they really helped him. They'll gladly give credit to AA or they'll give credit to your husband or your wife for not putting up your shenanigans anymore, but they will refuse to give God the glory for the miracle that has changed your life. So the Pharisees called for this man's parents. But mom and dad who didn't know Jesus were afraid to speak. Pay attention to this too. Even though his parents were thrilled that their son could now see, they still refused to acknowledge who had done it because they were afraid of the consequences. The Pharisees had threatened that anyone who declared Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the temple, and mom and dad didn't want to lose their church membership. <laughs> well, I could preach on this one for a while. Listen to me. Your family might not act too thrilled about what's happened to you. They might not want to talk to you about it. They might not want to give Jesus the glory for having done it, but they know what has happened to you, and they know who did it. They might not want to acknowledge that it's Jesus who's changed your life because they don't want to be run out of the country club. They don't want to lose their friends or for being religious fanatics, but they know what has happened to you. 
When they're around you, they might pretend that it's no big deal, but nobody is happier about the change that God has made in your life. They raised you. They tolerated your handicap. They cleaned up your messes and bailed you out of trouble. They know how blind you were, and they know that it's only by the power of God that you are a different person. Pharisee said, we know that Jesus is a sinner. Give the glory to God. But I want you to understand something. You can't give credit God without giving glory to Jesus because they're one and the same. This is when some of you would start a debate. You try to present your case. This is when you begin pulling everything that you know from your arsenal and throw it into the mix. But that's not what this man did. So pay attention to what he did. His answer remained simple and to the point. It never changed. His answer stayed within the realm of his own experience. He said, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But there's one thing I do know. I was once blind, but now I see. When you surrender your life to Jesus, you're going to be questioned by a skeptical crowd about what has happened to you. They'll drill you, they'll analyze you, but you don't have to come up with some deep intellectual answer. Maybe you just need to say, I don't know. I don't know. Instead of coming up with some great dissertation of what's happened to you, maybe you just need to say, I don't know what the Bible says. I don't know how the church works. I don't know theology. I can't answer your questions, but there's one thing I do know. I was once blind, and then I met Jesus, and now I can see. That's all you got to have. This blind man had received his sight, and he became a witness to other blind people as to what the power of God can do. There are people in this world who have no hope because they know nothing but blindness. For them, every day is the same. Every day is filled with pain and heartache, and they see no way out. They're convinced that this is their life, and this is just how it will always be, and they resign to failure and heartache, and they desperately need somebody to tell them about Jesus. There are many outside of our doors who know nothing about the power of God. When they look at the church through their blinded eyes, they see nothing but empty religion. They hear ungodly sounds coming from some of its members as they complain about their pastor or complain about their church. And they become convinced that those inside of the church are just as blind as they are. That's why you have to go to them and deliver the hope of the gospel. They don't need to hear you quote scripture. They don't need to, for, to hear how, how bad they are and how good they need to be. The only thing they need to hear from you is what Jesus has done for me, for you. You have a testimony, and it's your testimony. It's the great story of what Jesus has done in your life. It's probably not complicated or deep, but it's your testimony. You might not be able to answer everybody's questions, and you might feel ignorant when somebody wants you to explain to them what has happened to you. You might just have to answer, I don't know. I just don't know. But there's one thing that I do know. I was once blind, but now I can see. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. To save a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Somebody testified. Father, I thank you today for your word. God, I thank you for the way that it speaks to us and God stirs us, but God, it does us no good if we don't react. It does us no good if we don't react. We can say that was all wonderful and good. We can say, oh, that was, that was so nice to hear and, and it made me feel good, but God, if we don't react to what we've heard, 
we have wasted our time and wasted your words. So God, I pray that today that we will be stirred to action. God, we've been made people by sight by the power of God, and there are people outside of our doors who need to know about it. We need to tell them our testimony. We need to share what you've done for us and give hope to those who are hopeless. God, I pray for this time of invitation, God, that it will be a time of stirring. God, you'll put some people on our heart, that we, some blind people that we need to witness to. God, you put somebody in our heart and God, help us get on our knees and say, God, prepare the way this week. I wanna go talk to this person about Jesus. I wanna tell this poor blind person what Jesus can do. God, give me the courage and give me the words to speak. I know you'll do it. Father, we just pray you'll move in our church today. Before we close, before we leave, God, finish your work that comes from hearing your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to Reverend James Fry from Free Christian Church of God in Continental Ohio. We hope you have enjoyed today's message, and we would like to invite you to visit us next Sunday morning. Our Sunday morning services begin with Sunday school at 9.30, followed by the worship service at 10.30. Free Christian Church of God is located on the corner of State Route 15 and State Route 634, just north of Continental. For more information regarding this or other ministries, call the church office at area code 419-596-3103 or visit our website at www.freecog.org. This has been a Free Christian Church of God audio outreach ministries production.